Thank you, uh, music team. Good morning, everyone. It is good you are still in Jakarta. Probably this is the best time uh, to be in Jakarta. There is no traffic. You can go to three, four different places uh, in one day. Uh, yesterday, there were probably around 1.6 billion Muslims. Not everyone. Some would say nearly 2 billion right now around the world celebrated uh, Eid al-Fitri. Or they call it in Indonesia, Lebaran. And what is Lebaran? It is, some say it is a twist of Liburan. Lebaran is Liburan, it's a holiday. And many people are now spending their time on holiday. After uh, one month of fasting, not everyone fasted. A friend of mine told me uh, when I asked him, uh, how often do you uh, fast uh, during the Ramadan? I will say the first day and the last day. I said, uh, the first day, just you saw two people that I started, and then the last day I finished the race. Uh, so, yeah, uh, probably around 230 million uh, in Indonesia. We never know the statistics uh, who fasted, but if you go to restaurants during the day, there were lots of them uh, inside the restaurant uh, to eat. But that reminds us that uh, as we live in Jakarta, Indonesia, we are living in the largest uh, Muslim country in the world. And uh, yet, probably not many of us know well about this faith. Let me ask you, how many of you know the five pillars of Islam? You can mention. There are five pillars, five basic. Yeah, at the back, number one. Mike knows five pillars of Islam. Indonesian here, you know? Number one. Yeah. Number one is called... Shahadat is confessions of faith, and then sholat is a, a prayer, and uh, fasting, uh, that's what they just did, and then uh, almsgiving, zakat, and then the last one is uh, naikhaji, pilgrimage. These are the five. At least five we should know, yeah? We live in this, uh, in this country. But uh, many don't really spend time learning about this. Even in the seminary, they will spend probably only two credits learning about Islam, very basic one. Uh, that shows probably that there is, uh, as Indonesia, I see, there is not so much interest in really learning and uh, uh, reaching out uh, to these people. And we'll learn uh, later on why uh, this happened. And during this holiday, the elders decide whether this Sunday, this is around Lebaran, let's talk something about uh, reaching out to our neighbors. So the title for the sermon today is uh, uh, Beyond Borders. And it is, it is a learning from the book of Jonah because there is no verse in the Bible about Islam uh, specifically. So we take from Jonah. It is not a long book. It is only four chapters, around 48 verses. So it is short. Uh, my children go to uh, Christian schools and when they are asked to memorize a book of the Bible, they will always speak Jonah. So I have four children, so I know that uh, four of them will refer to Jonah 48 uh, verses. And uh, so you can read in one sitting and think about that. There are a lot of lessons uh, there. Uh, chapter 1 starts with God's uh, uh, calling uh, Jonah and sending him to preach the gospel. 
uh, to the great city of, of uh, Nineveh, uh, and, but Jonah ran away from the Lord. He went down to Joppa, uh, paid the tickets, and tried to go to Tarshish, just the opposite directions of Nineveh. Uh, but God chased after him, sent storms, uh, big winds to the ship, and, and chapter 2 was about uh, um, Jonah talking. Uh, Jonah was inside the, no, uh, he was engaging with the sailors, the pagan sailors, and then he said, just throw me into the sea. And after a long talk, they decided to uh, uh, throw him overboard. And he was swallowed by a big fish. And inside the fish, the whole chapter 2 talks about the prayer of Jonah inside the belly of the fish. That he acknowledged, he repented, and God uh, caused the fish to throw him uh, into uh, the land. And then this time, God called him again, and he obeyed. He went to Nineveh, and he preached there in chapter uh, 3. He preached, but only... Uh, one sentence. He said, 40 more days and the city will be overturned. In Hebrew, it's only five words. Uh, just press this. No mention of anything. Say, 40 more days, the city will be overturned. And the people repented. When he found out that the Ninevites repented, he was very sad. He was very frustrated. That was not his intention from the beginning, we will learn. And then uh, uh, of chapter 4, uh, he was out, he left the city, sat outside the city, waiting what will happen upon the city, and, uh, and was sitting under the shadow. God created a vine to cover him, and then the next day, God caused the uh, worm to eat up the vine. He was angry again, he would like to die, and then God taught him a very important lesson about his heart, his heart. And this is what God says at the end of the chapter. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. So I not be concerned with this or that great city? With the question marks, and it ends there. No answer from Jonah. Probably this book is left with these questions for all of us readers now to read and think, should I not concern with this great city, with these people, whoever they are? So if we read uh, uh, chapter 1 and chapter 3 is quite similar. Jonah in, was engaging with the pagan people, first with the pagan sailors. And these pagans believed in his message and his God, but Jonah ended up asking him to be killed. I want to die. Throw me overboard. And chapter 4, he preached the gospel to the uh, Ninevites. And these people, they repented. And Jonah said, I would like to die. Very interesting. And, uh, and that's what we are going to learn uh, today. Uh, let's pray before we start. Father, thank you so much that we are here. You have placed us strategically in this uh, big city of Jakarta. Uh, we are in the Baran holiday. Uh, help us to think more about our neighbors, uh, 
Muslims, and many other uh, faiths as well. Uh, uh, we pray that the book of Jonah will help us to understand your hearts more, your compassionate hearts, your love for people around the world, uh, and move us to do uh, the same, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, beyond borders, we learn about God's calling, God's love, God's compassion, God's mercy that go beyond borders of any kind. And uh, there are three things I would like to share from the book of Jonah. There are many lessons we can learn, but uh, number one is in chapter 1, verse 1 and 3, 1, God calls us to reach out to people beyond our own borders. 1 verse 1 says, this is the very first uh, verse of Jonah. You can see on the screen. The word of the Lord come to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. The same calling comes again to uh, Jonah after he was uh, formulated out of the feast in chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there are two things we can learn from this verse. Number one, our God is, is a missionary God. God who calls and who commissions people. This is what he has been doing throughout the Bible. Actually, mission means, it is from a Latin word, means to send out. Sends out. So when God is on the mission, he is calling people and he's commissioning people. He's calling people, he's sending people out. Uh, he calls Abraham and sends Abraham. He calls Moses and sends Moses. He calls the people of Israel and sends them out. He calls the prophets, the kings in the Old Testament and sends them out. And at the end, he sends his only son, Jesus Christ, from heaven, left the border of heaven border of glory uh, and comforts and joy and splendors and came down to earth to be with us. Learn our language, live the way we live, die on the cross to save us. Can, can we imagine that Jesus had never left heaven being sent to go down to earth? Secondly, we learn that God calls Jonah a Hebrew prophet, to go out and to preach to the Gentile nation and city, the bitter enemy, the Assyrian, the, the city of Nineveh. Now, God can change their hearts. God is almighty or powerful. He can change their hearts. But he needs someone. He needs an instrument, his hands and his feet, his mouth, to go out and, uh, and to preach. Uh, just like all of us here. God can change people. God can, can do anything without us. But the Bible always tells us that he needs his people to go out and to proclaim his glory. Jonah was a, a, a prophet, lived on the northeast of Israel near the city or the town of, of Nazareth. He lived in the time of King Jeroboam II in Israel. 
a long time ago. Uh, he was living at the same time as a prophet Amos and Micah, and later on uh, Nahum. You can read that in the Minor Prophets. And soon he was preaching against the people in the north. And soon the Assyrians will come and destroy them, kill them, and take them into uh, uh, captivity. Now, Nineveh was a very important city, great city. Uh, it was built by Nimrod, uh, one of the grandsons uh, of, of Noah. Beautiful, big city, lots of people live there, but they live in wickedness. And this wickedness has come up to God. And God, who is love, who is just, wants his name, his justice, his uh, mercy to be made known to these people. That's why he's calling Jonah to go there. So our God is missionary God. He calls and he sends. And he calls specific people, you and me. And uh, some people say, that actually the calling of Jonah is uh, representing the calling of the people of Israel to go out and declare the glory of God to the Gentiles. You all know that Israel is the chosen people of God. But God's calling and God's choice upon them is not stopping there. The purpose, the end purpose of God's choice of the people of Israel that through them, his name, his glory, his majesty will be preached among other nations. But oftentimes, these people, they keep them this for themselves. So, so God's call uh, for them, for example, in Isaiah 60, verse 18, you can see on the, on the screen, and I, because of what they have planned and done and... Uh, I'm about to come and gather the people of all nations and languages, and they will come and see my glory. And this is going to happen when the people of Israel go out and tell about him everywhere. Now, Jonah is called a fanatic Hebrew prophet. Now, he has to go uh, to preach there. And in the New Testament, we read that actually we are the new Israelites. We are a new covenant people. And we are also called to go out and to declare his glory. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, it says like this, If you are, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possessions, that you may declare the praises of him, who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So God calls us, blesses us, shows his mercy to us, bless us with uh, all spiritual blessings. Ephesians 1, uh, 3 says, you have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Forgiveness of sin, salvations, gifts of the spirits, his mercy. We have received a lot from the Lord. But it is not stop there. So that you may go and declare the praises on, among 
the nations. He called his disciples, all the Jewish people, fishermen, tax collectors, those who live their whole life in their own village, their own region, and now they are sent out all over the world to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Why God sends us out? Because I believe that the gospel is the only way for people to be saved. It's the only way. This is the convictions of Paul. That's why he went around from city to city, towns in, in, in uh, Mediterranean areas, in Turkey, in Greece, all the way to Rome, because he believed, this is what he says in Romans chapter 1, I am obligated both to the Gentiles and non-Greeks, uh, to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome, because I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew than to the Gentiles. Everyone needs the gospel. The rich, the poor, the educated, the non-educated, the Jewish Gentiles, the foolish, everyone. The Europeans, the Asians, the Papuans, Japanese, Sundanese, everyone needs the gospel. And that's why gospel needs to be preached. Muslims need the gospel here in Indonesia. Unchurched people need the gospel because only the gospel is the power of God that can save them. Many of them are not really aware and seeking God, but many of them are truly serious in their faith. They are truly seeking the Lord. They are, they are praying that they might find the living God. And when the gospel comes, that will be a news of, of liberations for many of them. Secondly, God calls and sends Jonah, but we all know in chapter uh, 1, verse 2, he ran away. So we often run away from this calling. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying a fare, paying a fare, he went aboard and sailed for the Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now he lived in northeast of, of Israel in, in, in uh, Nazareth. Joppa is quite far away down in the south. So he went far away uh, to Joppa, and he had the money enough to pay for the tickets to go on board, and he will go the opposite direction. You can see the map there. But to go to Nineveh is around 550 uh, miles. Uh, Tarsis is a name of place in the south of Spain, 2,500 miles. The furthest he could go. He wanted to run away, far, far away 
from the Lord, from these missions. I don't want to do, uh, I don't want to do this. I ask this question, why? Why did Jonah run away from this clear calling uh, from the Lord? Now, there are few reasons you can imagine that. Number one is probably it is hard. It is hard to do this because you have to go uh, more than 500 miles. There was no car, no airplanes. Uh, probably you will walk and walk 550 miles. It's more than 600 kilometers. It's not easy. Uh, the furthest I ever walked in, the, in doing mission was 20 kilometers. It was far enough for me. Uh, everyone of you has ever walked for 20 kilometers from one place to the other. I walked once the whole day, but it is, it is not 600 kilometers. So maybe it was it's too hard for him. But then he went into the boat that will go 2,500 uh, miles. But it was in the boat, yeah? He, did, he didn't have to walk. So probably it's too hard. Probably the same excuse or, or reasons for us now when God calls us to go across the borders of any kind. People who have different cultures, different backgrounds, different faiths probably. It is too hard for us to do. It's too hard. It's for Noah, uh, for, for, for Jonah. Second reason is it's probably dangerous. Dangerous. Now, the Ninevites, the Assyrians, are, are, to say that it's quite a cruel terrorist, you would say. They like to inflict terror on people. And uh, they are the uh, bitter enemy of the people of Israel. Yeah. Someone says about the uh, Assyrians uh, like this. Uh, let me read. They were brutally cruel, their kings often being depicted as gloating over gruesome punishment inflicted on the conquered people. They conducted their wars with shocking ferocity, uprooted whole populations as a state policy, and deported them to the other parts of the empire. The leaders of the conquered cities were tortured and horribly mutilated, mutilated before being executed. We can read that in Nahum 3, verse 3. Would you like to go to this kind of people like this? They will probably kill you, torture you. These are cruel terrorists. Maybe to say this word that is quite scary today. But so they were. And they were the enemies of Israel. Soon they will come and they will kill the northern people. Uh, so what about God calling you to go to the place like this? Where probably people will kill and eat you probably. Or they will hate you. They will arrest you. They will put you into prison and so forth. That is... That's probably the reason why he ran away. But the third reason, 
that is clearly stated here is, is hatred, actually. It's hatred that Jonah had toward the Assyrians. Because the Ninevites were not Jews, they were different nations, different tribes, different race. And, and, and that's why in chapter 3, when he preached the gospel to them, and they repented, instead of being joyful because these people have come to believe, he was very sad. He was very sad. He was displeased. Uh, with this, and um, and this is what he prayed in chapter four, verse two to three. Listen to what Jonah prayed to God when he found out that the people of Nineveh repented and believed. He prayed to the Lord, "Is this not what I said when I was still at home?" That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. So, he has the right understanding of God. Yes, God is compassionate. God is gracious. God is full of mercy. And because of that, he knows he will forgive these people when he preached the gospel. As if he was saying, yes, Lord, I, I will finally obey you and go there. But deep inside his heart is, I hope that these people will not, going to, will not believe. So the punishment of God will come upon them. He was the one who knows the hearts of God, but he doesn't have that heart. You know about God, but you don't want to know the consequences of your understanding about God. This is very dangerous. He knows God is merciful, but he doesn't want to have the merciful heart. He knows that God loves all people, but I wish I didn't know that. I don't want to love everyone. Our theology often challenges us, and often we don't want to hear. That's why some people will say, probably we need to rip off some pages of the Bible, because we know this true, but it is, it is the bitter truth that is challenging us, that is facing us, and probably we want to ignore that. And even he says, I will better die than these people to be forgiven. It's better for me to die. It is such a hatred he had in his heart. And he's a prophet of God. It is your job. It is part of your job descriptions is to go and preach about the love of God and justice of God. So when he went around, if we, we, we read in uh, chapter 3, verse 5, he, he, when he, he walked for three days, this is a city, it's quite a big city, three days walk. And the first day, he was told this is what he, he preached, over 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. That's all. No mention about God, 
No mention about his love, his compassions, just, just justice and punishment. Deep inside his heart, he said, I'm really expecting this to happen to you. You really deserve this. God will punish you over 40 more days and you will be overturned. This mentality goes on throughout the history of the people of Israel, even to the Christians. We read in the New Testament, it was a revolutionary thing for the gospel to be preached beyond the borders of Jewish people and Jewish culture. When Simon Peter in Acts chapter 10, 11 was given dream and vision to go and preach the gospel to Cornelius, who was a Roman, it was, he was summoned. So big meeting happens. What have you been doing? You go across the border to preach the gospel to these Gentiles. It's very hard for us. This is meant only for us. And even more when Paul was given the visions to go out and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. It was not easy. They had this Acts 15 synod. They brought everyone. Now we have to talk. How are we going to do with this? People of other nations, of different cultures than us, different race than us. Now they have received the gospel. They have received the salvation. What are we going to do with this? And we, if we read throughout the history of missions, oftentimes this still happens. As good as it has been or happened throughout history, sometimes it's not easy. In certain places, the gospel was not allowed to preach to certain group of people because once they become Christians, they cannot anymore become slaves. That's the policy. So better they don't become Christians. It's very hard. But we are so grateful that now we all have received the good news because people like Peter and Paul, they obey the calling from God and go beyond the borders, preach the gospel, which was not easy. It was not easy. Going back to Noah, can you imagine that after the World War II, God came and called a Jewish person in America or in Europe to go and preach to Hitler and his soldiers so that he may repent and God may have mercy on them. It was not easy. It's very hard. But there was a story we know, Corrie ten Boom, a Dutch lady, was hiding the Jewish people in uh, the Netherlands. She was arrested, she was arrested with her sister. They were in prison and her sister died because of imprisonment. After the war, God called her to go and preach the gospel to Germans. And one of the men in the conference was the very soldier that was guarding her and her sister and witnessed the death of her sister. How would you do that? He said, I forgive you. After long struggling, he said, I forgive you because of the power of the gospel. There's a supernatural ability 
given by God to us when we obey, to go and to share his love, his mercy, his goodness to the people who probably hate us, do lots of harmful things to us. It's amazing. Like the wife of Jim Elliot, uh, missionaries with his friends who went to Ecuador, and they were killed by these uh, Indian tribes, even before they started their mission work among these people. But then his wife continued to go and live among these very people that killed their husbands and share the gospel, and they became Christians. What kind of love, what kind of strength is that? I think this is, this is the love of God, the hearts of God, that goes beyond all these kinds of borders of hatred and, and other types. In Indonesia, it's not easy. I told my friends that uh, when we started to work among the Muslims, one seminary professor came and said, why are you wasting your time and resources reaching out to Muslims? He told us, why? Because he had bitterness, their schools, their chairs were attacked, and some were killed. And he had this hatred. He told us, don't, don't spend your resources energy, your efforts. Let them go to hell. This is real here. I've heard from churches that have re- lots of resources, and they said, sorry, we kind of reluctant to put our resources, our money for any ministry that reaches out to these people. This happens. What do you feel toward the Muslims in the country? Or maybe people of other, other faiths? When probably you know that God's heart is for them as well. We will see that. I was challenged by the statistics, statistics, but actually the presence of professional missionary among Muslims is one per 1.7 million. So there is one missionary working in one, nearly two million Muslims around the world. It's very small compared to Medina. Sometimes you have many more working in one city. You have lots of people working there, but very small numbers. And for all of us here in Asia, you know Asia is the largest continent by populations, but Christianity is the least presence here. You know why? Uh, this challenges us to go. And, and this hatred blinds him. He, Jonah knows you cannot run away from uh, Jonah knows you cannot run away from God. Psalm 139 says, how can you run away from his presence? You go down to the depths of sea, he's there. You go up to the highest heaven, he was there. Even in darkness, his light is for him. You cannot run away. But no one can run away from God. No, it's there, it's everywhere. And for us Christians, God lives inside of us. Wherever we go, he's with us. He cannot run away from him. And yet, 
this feeling of hatred probably prevents him from doing what God calls him to do. Last point I will say today is then we come to chapter 4 where God reveals his heart to Jonah, his heart for the lost. Jonah, he preached, and then he went out of the city, the east side of the city. He sat there and waited what God will do to the people of Nineveh. And I know from inside his heart, you know, he will see when the fire will come down and consume the people, probably. What will happen? And so God teaches him lessons about his character. God created a vine, quickly grew up, provided a shadow for Jonah. He was very happy. He was very comfortable. But then the next day, God provided a worm that eats the vine so that it withered. And Jonah complained about this. He was not happy. And then he prayed, let me die. Let me die. It's better for me to die than to see these people blessed and forgiven. And this is what God says. You have been concerned about the vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. I sprang overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned with that great city? The book ends here, as I told you before. I see there are at least two lessons, very simple lessons we can learn from here. Two sides. One side is more, more a, a negative teaching for Jonah. God is saying something, Jonah, you are selfish. You are angry because the vine died. Even though you did not tend it, you did not make it grow. Your selfishness has blinded you to see the needs of these people. Your selfishness has caused you to run away. Your selfishness has magnified your excuses. Your selfishness has made you callous to share my heart for these people. Your selfishness has blinded you to see the way I see these people. Probably oftentimes they just ours as well. If we, we take time to think deeply. Probably our self-centered, self-focused, self-desires can make us find all kinds of excuses to not doing what we know the desires of God, the will of God, the call, the purpose of God for us. 
as I said last week, we all are believers here, if we are all believers, because someone else has crossed the border and preached the gospel to us. When we were students in the college, someone came to us. Or in our workplace, uh, wherever we are, there was someone who made the effort to come to us. And then after that, we don't think that we need to do the same to others. But then the second thing is God is sowing his heart. God says there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hands from their left. What does it mean? Some people will say these are children because children do not know their right hands from the left. Uh, probably true. If that is true, then the numbers of people there is more than 120,000. That is a lot of people created in his image and likeness, even though they are not Jewish people. They are still created by God. God loves them. God wants them to hear his, 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 uh, his gospel. And not only that, even the animals, the cattle, he's saying something to Jonah, you care about the vine? What about these animals also? A lot of them in the city. Some people will say, cannot tell the right hand from the left is these people who are oblivious of their moral and spiritual life. They're born in a culture in the city where there is no alternative teaching. This is only the way they know. They're brought that way. Uh, this is the only way of life they know, so they cannot make a choice. These cruel cruelties, wickedness, this is how they were taught and brought up in their family. If that's true, I can also relate that to many other people here in Indonesia. Can you imagine that you are born in one village in the middle of West Java, where the whole people there are Muslims? They have no alternative. This is the only way of life they know. They've never been exposed to different things. Or maybe you're born in predominantly homogeneous Buddhist family or Buddhist society. Probably this is the only one uh, teaching and way of life you know. They don't know. So God tells Jonah, unless you go there, they will never know. So unless these people cross over their borders, to meet a Christians, then they will know something different. Or a Christian crosses the border and goes to them, and they will have alternative. They will know something different. They remember the chief of a tribe in somewhere in the middle of Papua New Guinea. He asked the missionary, did your parents know this good news? The missionary said, yes, they did. Did the parents of your parents know this new news? Yes. Did the parents of the parents of your parents know this? And he goes, is the parents of the parents of the parents of your parents? No, this is... And then suddenly the penny dropped. Well, we have known this good news for centuries. 
for centuries in Europe, for example. Gospel came the first, second, third century, but only in the 19th, 20th century, this good news was brought to people in other parts of the world. We still be thankful uh, for that. I still remember we have probably friends here from India. Uh, who is the guy? Is a, uh, William Carey from England was planning to go as a missionary to India. And people there ask, why do we have to go there? If God wants to save them, he will save them anyway. There were many people who discouraged to do that. But thank God he decided to leave England and went to spend the rest of his life there. Now we have many Christians in India, and so are many other people. We learned about this uh, last week as well. Now, from these 120,000 people, and God said, should I no concern with these people? He does. I will draw your attention to apply this to our context in Indonesia. There are probably others. After that, we will have time of prayer. Uh, Muslims are very, is, is numerous. 1.6 billion people. Their website says now they have reached 2 billion people. And uh, this is the fastest growing religion in the world based on birth rate, not conversions, but birth rate. So one man can have more than one wife, and every, his wife can have how many children. Can you imagine that? While people in, uh, in Europe, probably America, they tend to have less and less children, and they have more children, so they are growing very, uh, very fast. 230 million in Indonesia, lots of people. Does God love them? I believe he does. He wants them to hear the gospel. There are many of them who are very, very genuine. They want to find the true and living God. So the second lesson is that uh, we need to differentiate between Islam as a teaching and Muslims as people. You might disagree with the teaching of Islam. There are lots of things probably I'm not allowed to say here. Uh, yes, but there are many good Muslims. Probably your employees, one of your managers, your partners, and you can witness. These are good people. And you can build relationship with them and, uh, and, and reach out to them. In Indonesia, there are many types of Islams, what we call the traditional moderate Islams, a part of the NU, Nadatul Ulama, the largest Muslim organization in the world, who claims to have like 40, 50 million people. They're quite moderate, they're quite open, uh, uh, and you can reach out to them. They are conservative as well, uh, fundamentals. Uh, that tend to be part of, if you hear the uh, Muhammadiyah is quite Puritan, quite strong. Uh, and there are Islamists, it's very radical uh, people who read uh, the scriptures uh, more from the radical point of view. There are liberals as well, lots of liberals, those who against 
uh, Islam. And, and recently, there was a professor in UGM uh, in Yogyakarta who this is something that is quite open uh, in the West, uh, who in his seminar told that he believes Quran has been changed over the past centuries of century. The tradition Quran that we have right now is not the same as that was given to Muhammad the seventh century. There's a revolution because they always believe it's exactly the same that was given is still being kept uh, intact until right now. So there are lots of liberals, the open-minded people. When we pray, God can lead us to meet different people and have a uh, conversation uh, with them. Uh, just to encourage us here to continue to reach out to them, there's some statistics as well. 200 years ago, there were only around 0.7 Christians in this country and only around 85% Muslims. In 1941, there were less than 2% Christians based on the statistic. You can find that in Wikipedia. Uh, but now we have probably more than 10%. Uh, so it grows while the percentage of Islam remains largely the same. Uh, Christianity has grown out, uh, reached out to uh, many people but mostly from the non-Christians, animistic people everywhere. But thanks to the missionary works, every Christian who reach out to their neighbors and, and that encourages us, let us continue to bear witness uh, to them. The lots of Muslims who are coming to Christ and 70% of them probably because of the love that is demonstrated by a Christian to them. Yeah. Everywhere we go, if there is a big humanitarian organization helping people in, the, in uh, natural disasters, they will always think probably these are Christians. Uh, Christians are kind of in our DNA to quickly respond and provide support for them. And that's, there's a good testimony for them and many drone. Uh, to them. There was a pastor helping people up in Aceh many years ago. Uh, and uh, uh, because the Muslims were not allowed to touch their dead bodies, he brought his young people from church and they helped remove the dead bodies all day long, tomorrow. And at night, the Muslims would secretly come to their room and ask more about their faith. And many gave their lives to Jesus. And I believe God has given us lots of resources, opportunity uh, to show compassion and love to them. Uh, many can have dreams and visions, but if they have dreams and visions, they still need to have contact with the Christians to be able to come. Uh, this is the way God works. You need to get to know a Christian being told from the scripture before you really put your faith in Jesus. We are so thankful that we still have freedom in this country, freedom to bear with, to share the gospel. There are some things in the, our constitutions that give us freedom to God, even though in reality not, but I still think that we still have freedom. That changes a lot, but 
we're so grateful for that. In early 90s, we could still distribute tracks on the street. We did that on the bus. We distribute tracks. We distribute tracks even in the mall. I did once and I was arrested. <laughs> I was arrested and uh, being threatened. You do once again, we put you into jail. So I took all the uh, trucks and the boxes and went out. Uh, right. But it was still possible to do that. But it's still it's getting harder and harder. So let us pray that God will give us opportunities challenge, uh, uh, to share before the door is closed because it is too hard for us. Uh, let's go beyond these borders. Love them. Let's share the gospel of them. We still have the largest believers from the Muslim background in this country, and they're actively uh, engaging and reaching out the people. Many of them will, will challenge Christian and say, how can you are so passive? You have the living God. Jesus is so real. He changes my life. He blesses me. Go out and share. But there are some challenges. I will close with the word from, from Paul. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13 to 15, thing is on the screen. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The last sentence is very nice. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This is the herald in the ancient time when they went to battle. People who live behind the city will always wait when the herald will run back home and just to announce, we won the war, we won the battle. People are waiting probably for us to go. And we don't have to leave our place, go over to the islands so far away. These might be people sitting next to you in the office or friends and playing football or, or soccer or, or basketball. There. That there, we just need to be aware, open our hearts and minds to do that. Make friends, genuine friendship with them, be more intentional, praying for them. Make a list and pray uh, for them. Even now, as we close this, I would like us to take a, a short, quiet time and think about someone that you can pray for now, who is different from you. Someone, maybe your friend in the office, your family member, uh, that you seriously want to pray for his or her salvation. Or you are driven to pray for one nation. Probably this nation is, in, is at war with your own nations. But you want to love them and pray for them. Or... You have certain stereotypes against certain group of people. And you want to pray and confess, Lord, forgive me because I have this kind of feeling 
and hatred toward these people that prevent me from reaching out to them. And, or many other things that God puts in your hearts. As you take time, and maybe we can hear the uh, instrument, I have asked three people to, will, to come to the front. Uh, these are not well-known people in our church, so they come and then we pray. Uh, I've asked Brother Alex, Brother Luis, and uh, Jerry to come, and they will, they will be driven to pray anything for any people uh, that God puts in their hearts. While you are sitting, you may also think about things that you can pray. Please come here. Alex and Louis. Can I, can I read the testimony of Muslim back believer? Yeah, yeah, you can do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You want to start? It's a uh, Maybe we, uh, many of us feel like Jonah. Uh, we live in a Muslim country, and we uh, maybe some of us experience direct uh, consequence of uh, um, Muslims thinking they are being, uh, you know, uh, faithful to God and did destructive things. And so, uh, maybe many of us sometimes feel like Jonah towards. Muslims and, and as Joseph said just now uh, we need to distinguish between Muslims and the teachings of Islam so uh, here when we want to pray to Muslim for Muslim we need to first um, you know uh, understand them first the, the if we uh, do a quick search on Google, the meaning of Muslim is simply, in the, in the Arabic root word, is uh, one who submits to the faith. Well, in this case, is actually Islam, but the root word is the one who submits to, to God. So we are in many ways, are like the Muslim, we also submit to God. So Muslim are simply those, they are trying to uh, submit to God. And I'd like to read to you a testimony of a Muslim back believer, background believer. That means they were formerly Muslim and become Christian. And uh, this is taken from pray30days.org. Uh, if you go to the site, there is a 30 days uh, prayer every day during Ramadan uh, that you can pray every day for, for them. So this is a testimony of a Muslim who became a Christian. My name is Fatima. I was born in Morocco, Morocco, but my origins are Berber. My parents raised me along with my 11 siblings as Muslims. I celebrated Ramadan every year and prayed every day with my father. My parents argued frequently, each year becoming more violent. I prayed for peace in our home for years with no answer, and finally I gave an ultimatum to Allah. I'm going to pray three times, and if you don't show up in front of me, I won't believe in you anymore. 
nothing happened until the night I had a dream. In my dream, I was climbing a mountain and receiving encouragement to keep going. At the top of mountain, I met a man dressed in white, beaming with kindness. Feel he was surrounded by happy people, filled with peace. I would have liked to stay there forever. I told my family about my dream, but they dismissed it. So I kept it in my heart and hoped to find out who the man in uh, my dream was. My life was dull and aimless, but then a couple came, came to life in our building who spoke to me about the love of God in Jesus Christ. They invited me to a gospel, gospel meeting where I felt the presence of God. I started to read the Bible in secret to find out who Jesus was. Then I realized that Jesus was the man in my dream. I cried out to God to release me from my suffering and receive his peace. In my new life, I have joy and peace, and I pray for my family to come to know Jesus too. Um, this, this story uh, strike a chord in me because I, was a, I came from a Buddhist family, so I had a kind of similar prayer um, before I became a Christian. So, yeah, uh, God did answer prayer to those who, are, who seek God. But when, uh, if, if we Christians do not do our part to preach the gospel, you know, they are not going to become believers as well, even after Jesus appeared to them in their dream. So uh, God called for our partnership. So this is why we need to pray for the uh, Muslim and uh, our common ground with them is that uh, despite for uh, whatever uh, uh, they seem to have done, uh, they, uh, those who have done it, uh, you know, um, the violence, uh, they don't represent every Muslim. Muslim simply means the one who seeks God. And in many ways, we can, in the Arabic world, we can be a Muslim as well. We submit to God. Of course, our God is the biblical God. Yeah, love. For, uh, so, uh, I'd like to uh, uh, ask everyone of us to pray for uh, Muslim, back, uh, Muslim background believers, because after they become believers, they experience, uh, you know, uh, by law, Muslim law, they are disinherited. So many of them have to uh, leave their where they, uh, their society, you know, their communities. They have to start a new job and everything, and it is tough, tough life. And uh, in, in, in Malaysia, there are strict laws against it. In Indonesia, there are not laws uh, yet against it. But then, um, the you know, social pressure against them is big. And uh, many of them still, after they become believers, they still attend mosques and live as safe as Muslim. Uh, but in their heart, you know, they are, uh, they were, uh, they are Christians like us. And I was once like that too. Uh, I came from Buddhist family, so uh, yeah, we, we can pray for them. Um, and then, um, as just now, uh, 
um, Pak Yusuf uh, asked us to pray as well. People that we ca uh, can that in our circle, the Muslims who who are hardworking, who you know, uh, we work with them. We know that they are good guys, and yeah. So yeah, we need to to have a common ground with uh, uh, with them to to be able to reach out to them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you today, God. We want to recognize, God, that you uh, come to seek us, to seek the lost. And the lost among us is in, as we live in this um, um, uh, biggest Muslim country in the world, that you have placed us here uh, for some reason. Uh, uh, not coincident that we live here, that God, that we, you want us to be a testimony to, to seek the loss among the Muslim people. God, uh, we pray that God, we can be a good testimony to them, and we, our lives, uh, that we we show uh, patience and kindness. Uh, that uh, we're not, that Lord, that uh, we together with them. You. Uh, work together to uh, to submit to you God Father in heaven we uh, want to pray also for uh, those Muslims that who have uh, finally became Christians and they are uh, facing uh, persecutions and uh, uh, maybe um, excommunication from the family and uh, friends and and uh, God we pray for them that God that you uh, that you bestow upon them your blessings your protection and you bring to them uh, fellow brothers and sisters to help them out in their situation and may they continue to grow in faith and uh, come to the knowledge uh, full knowledge of your love, name and wisdom, name of Jesus, give thanks and pray, amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, Lord. Lord, we bow down before you, Lord, for you are holy and holy God. Lord, today we learn about your heart, Lord, that you love your people, that you want to gather your people to you, Lord. You are a wonderful God. And Lord, you teach us and you remind us, Lord, that for us to know your love and your heart, Lord, it means for us to obey you and that to bring your love, Lord, and to share your love, Lord, to those around us beyond our comfort zone, Lord, of different faith, of different background from us. For you love each one of us, Lord. You created us and you sustain us. Lord, we pray that we will uh, we'll be faithful, Lord, to obey you, Lord, to ask ourselves, Lord, daily, what is in your heart, Lord? And that will remind us, Lord, that you want us to share the Gospels, Lord, 
so that many will be gathered to you and that we will worship you together and praise your holy name. We pray, Lord, for all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Let's continue to pray. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to call on your name anytime, day or night. The Bible says that you never sleep, you never slumber, you're never tired, you're never too busy for us, Lord. And just thank you for that privilege of calling on you anytime. And I thank you that there are pockets of believers all over this country this morning that are gathering, that are calling on your name, and that are praying for our neighbors and co-workers and people that we meet, um, that there's prayer going up all over this country this morning, Lord. And not only that, in countries all over the world, there's believers that are meeting to praise you and glorify your name and call for the salvation message to continue throughout the world. Um, thank you that Christianity is not a Western religion and it's not an Eastern religion. But as was pointed out today in Romans, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved in any tribe, any nation. And thank you that someone one time in the history of my family crossed borders to share the gospel. And that gospel was able to be shared to me as well. And just thank you for someone that was willing to do that, Lord. We know that the work of salvation only comes through you, that you do the work, but thank you that you allow us to participate with you in what you do around the world. And I want to pray specifically for a country beyond our borders, uh, the country of India. And there's over 1.4 billion people there, um, mostly uh, Hindu and Buddhist, and um, not following you, Lord. And I just pray that your, your spirit will move across that country and that eyes will be open and ears will hear when they have a chance to hear the gospel and that people will respond, Lord. And we know that there are believers there that are working very hard to share the gospel. And I just pray that you will encourage them, um, help them to stand strong in their faith, to put on the armor of God. We know there's a lot of spiritual darkness in that country. And I just pray that they will be able to stand firm um, in the work that they're doing. Thank you, Lord, that you are, um, that you have saved us and that you have made the salvation message available to all. And I pray that we will do our part, whether that's giving or equipping others to go uh, or even going ourselves, Lord. I pray that we will all find a way to um, honor you and glorify you in this way, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> 